This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, Senior Minister Dee Bacon will be teaching the message. Welcome to Mount Carmel Christian Church. We have gathered here because of Emmanuel, God with us, to celebrate the message that comes not only from Christmas, but we are going to look at what was said about the coming of Jesus from a man named Isaiah, who was a prophet to the people of God many, many years ago. In coming here, I ran into a friend, and uh, we got to talk about fatherhood. And uh, I said, you know, one of the things I experienced, and if you've experienced, marriage is an adjustment, sure. But parenting is life-altering. It turns your world upside down. You begin to experience things you never thought you would experience. You get to feel things you never thought you would feel. It just brings it all out. One of the unintended consequences, I think, of having kids uh, happened to me not some, some while ago. Shannon and I were downtown Cincinnati. We decided we would go in to the top of the Karoo Tower. It was part of the fun day that we had planned. And so we got into that elevator, and we shot up all the floors, and we got to the top, and there's this uh, gift shop, this, this place where you can uh, see, and it's there, and it's this deck that, that's really high, obviously. And I remember when I got to the top, I, I remember feeling the, the place shaking a little bit. And that kind of really freaked me out. And all of a sudden, something happened to me that I had never experienced before. Uh, I started getting weak in the knees. My, my heart started palpitating. And um, we got out onto the observation deck. And, you know, they have these binocular things there. And those are things that you can look through and see very, very far places all over Cincinnati. It was a beautiful day. But I was scared to death. I literally uh, got up there and my back was to the wall and I had to force myself to the binocular place like this. And I'm like, what is going on? I never used to be afraid of heights. I, crazy. I blame my children. <laughs> never happened to me before. So we were visiting Mount Vernon, visiting one of my kids in college, Mount Vernon, Ohio. They have a park there called Ariel Park. And in Ariel Park, they have this tower. So Shannon and I say, well, let's climb to the top of the tower. And I thought, ah, no problem. And so we started going up those steps. And we had coffee in our hands. And I'm like, what is going on with me? And next thing I know, I'm at the top of that observation deck. Guess what? Same thing. My back is against the wall, and I know I'm in this cage, but I was scared to death. I was scared. I, I forced myself. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Man up. Cowboy up, man. Walk over there, and I walk to the side. I'm like, yeah, this is nice. Let's go. Phobias, fears, we all have them. We all know about them. My mom was deadly afraid of mice. It was so hilarious. I would be in one part of the house and I would hear a scream. Ah! Diddy! And apparently the cat had brought a gift to my mom to show. It was a mouse. And I would come into the kitchen and she would be up on the counter literally, Eee, a mouse! And I used to just laugh about it, pick the mouse out, throw it away. It was, it was fun. Similar things happened with my wife. Shannon is deadly afraid of these things. They're called uh, house millipedes. She calls them skates. Ew! 
She's now freaking out seeing the picture. She's sitting out there. She's like, ee. We'll be upstairs in the kitchen, and the next thing we hear her scream, ah, and then bang, 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 because when she gets afraid, she gets violent. Just a warning to you. So she starts smashing and killing and, and, and crushing things, and we know what's happened. It's a skate. It's a skate that does not escape, because when you kill those things, I mean, it's always fun. You kill them, and those legs are like, it still freaks you out. Personal phobias, fears, we won't have them. Found a website that listed the top, apparently the top 10 phobias of the United States. Uh, let's, let's go through them here. If I can pronounce them, bear with me. I have an accent. Number 10, mysophobia, fear of dirt due to contamination by germs. This is the fear of germs. Number nine, agoraphobia, fear of public or open spaces. Number eight, social phobia, fear of being in social events or situations. Number nine, seven, trypanophobia, fear of needles, yeah, yeah. Astrophobia, fear of thunder and lightning, number six. Number five, sinophobia, fear of dogs. Number four, aerophobia, fear of flying. Number three, acrophobia, fear of heights. Hold on, don't go yet. So let's guess, what's number two, do you think? Hmm, mm, yeah, let's see. Number two, orphidophobia, fear of snakes. And number one, arachnophobia, fear of spiders. Yeah, we all got them. I actually did some more research about some really weird phobias. Here's some that, that I found. This is pretty funny. This is pretty funny. Number <laughs> electrophobia, fear of chickens. Anybody? Anybody? Fear of chickens? Okay. Oh, no. Whoa. Way to go. Go back. Yeah, let's go. We went backwards. Let's go. All right. There we go. Fear of chickens. Onomatopoeia. Onomatophobia. Fear of names. I can't relate. Pogonophobia. Fear of beards. Hang on. Let's see. Tim Wall's not here. He's got like that big one. Anyway. Fear. Okay. What else we got here? Nephophobia. Fear of clouds. I don't get it, but okay. Cryophobia, this is one we could all relate to probably at this time. Fear of ice or cold, we'll probably put snow in there. Weird. We all know about phobias. We all have personal things that freak us out, scare us, no matter who we are, no matter what's going on in our lives. Now, the sad truth is, is that while we deal with personal phobias, um, we also deal with societal phobias. And everything that I've been reading of late tells me that Americans, in general, are some of the most anxious and stressed out and fearful people in the world, which blows my mind. I'm like, first world problems, you know, in the country we live in? I mean, the research shows that some, uh, we're, we're so afraid. I mean, even more afraid than in countries like Nigeria and, and, and uh, Ukraine. I mean, that just blows my mind that we are dealing with such phobias. And, and the research shows that uh, younger generations are even more stressed and fearful and racked with anxiety. Time magazine just recently had a, a, a title. This was the title of the article. Check this out. The title of the article said, the kids are not, not all right. American teens are anxious, depressed, and overwhelmed. Article claimed that today's adolescents are the post-9-11 generation raised in an era of economic and national insecurity. They've never known a time when terrorism and school shootings weren't the norm. They grew up watching their parents weather a severe recession, and perhaps most importantly, they hit puberty at a time when technology and social media were transforming society. 
We live in a culture of fear. And it's unfortunate because we carry our fear broadcasters with us in our pockets, don't we? Right? Our fear broadcasters are in our pockets, you know, tweets, alerts, uh, news. It comes at us, and, and we're afraid as, as, as a nation. We are afraid. Now, I've been, I've been really thinking about this and, and investigating this, and I'm thinking, what do we have to be afraid of? What, what's really scary? And, of course, we can say, well, we're afraid of terrorist attacks, and we're afraid of bad weather, you know, people that play constantly, the weather alerts, because just in case a tornado will hit, and, and people, we're afraid of this and afraid of And I'm thinking, what's really going on with us? Why are we, as a nation, generally so afraid? And I, I got to think about Maybe the issue is not fear. Maybe the issue is the opposite of this. Maybe we have been conned into, we've been lured into, we have been seduced into the worship of safety, security, and comfort. Maybe the motivation for our fears is not necessarily uh, real threats, although there are real threats in our lives. I get it. But maybe this this. Ag- this, this holding on to fear and, and, and grasping all that we do is really a matter of us choosing to idolize, to put in the status of the be-all and end-all, safety, security, and comfort. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying safety, security, and comfort are, are bad things, and I'm not saying that uh, we who struggle with fears and phobias don't need to, to work through that. I'm not trying to minimalize that, but I am saying that I believe that there is a movement afoot amongst our society that elevates comfort as the be-all and end-all. We buy a car, and what are we are interested in? Safety features right? We surf on the web, and what are we interested in? We want to make sure that little, uh, that little icon of a lock is there because we want to make sure it's safe. We make decisions based primarily on safety and whether or not it's going to provide the comfort we desire and want. Why is it that many are, 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 are rearing their children and, and they're rearing their children with this notion of be safe, be safe, be safe? It affects our relationships. It affects our outlook. It affects um, everything. It's getting to the point of ridiculous. We can't even share ideas with one another. We cannot have... Uh, civil debate regarding right and wrong or regarding the way to live. Why? Because you might offend someone and they won't feel safe. We've got to provide safe zones for our young people just in case they hear something that might make them feel vulnerable. And why is that? Well, it's because, heaven forbid, that they feel a little uncomfortable, they feel a little unsafe, or feel a little challenged. Why? Because safety has become the be-all and end-all of our lives, comfort, safety, and security. We will sign away our freedoms and our livelihood and that which is good so that we can guarantee we get safety. And unfortunately, this idolatry of safety has infected the church and infected many Jesus followers. They want a Jesus who does what? It keeps them safe. They want a Jesus that guarantees no difficulty and no hardship. They want a Jesus that will will, will keep away the bad 
and keep them from, from anything that's untoward. They want a Jesus that will guarantee security and safety and comfort. And really, it's not Jesus at all that they're looking to. It's the idol of safety, security, and comfort, given the title, given the name, Jesus. Jesus was not safe. If you read what he said about following him, unfortunately, you're going to discover that he said, hey, if you follow me, be prepared. Be prepared for suffering and struggle. Be prepared for sacrifice and discomfort. Be prepared. I like what Dorothy Sayers said about our current view or this current view of Jesus as, as being saved. This is what she said. The people who hanged Jesus never to do them justice accused him of being a bore, of, of being pale, being, of being a nobody, right? A, a, non-threatening. On the contrary, they thought him too dynamic to be safe. It, was been, it has been left for later generations, that's us right now, to muffle that shattering personality and surround him with an atmosphere of tedium. We have efficiently pared the claws of the Lion of Judah, certified him meek and mild, and recommended him as a fitting household pet for pale curates and pious old ladies. Those who knew him, however, those who really knew him, those who are interested in knowing him, however, objected to him as a dangerous firebrand. Jesus, Jesus, and the message he brought wasn't the worship of safety. Our scripture for today is a message to the people of Judah. It's a message from God that I believe ultimately captures the heart of the work of Jesus because it is about Jesus and the coming of Jesus, the promise of Jesus. People of Judah at the time of 735 B.C., people of Judah were in a crisis. They were really dealing with an ultimate threat. At that time, the ten tribes of Israel were a country in the north called Israel, and the two tribes, Judah and, and, and uh, Benjamin, were in the south, and they were called Judah, split up, and they were asunder from one another. There was many times wars between each. Well, Judah was under threat. They were under a threat because Israel of the north was teaming up with another country called Syria, and they wanted to invade Judah, and the king of the time, a guy called Ahaz, was like, okay, what do we do, people? And instead of seeking out help from God, what he did was, I'm going to rely, because that was his mode. He was not a God follower, unfortunately. He was an idol follower. In other words, he followed his own uh, agendas and his own ways to live and, and worship, and those were the idols of, of that, that time. And so he thought, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sidle up to the bad boy of the neighborhood, a country called Assyria, and I'm going, to, I'm going to ask Assyria to help me deal with the threat of this country to my north called Israel and their ally Syria. I'm going to ask them for help. And and, and this whole message that we are given is a message from God through the prophet Isaiah. Tim talked about it last week, and basically God is, says to Ahaz, hey, 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 
why do you want to go to Syria? Why do you want to go to Assyria for help when you have me? Why, why do you want to deal with this threat? Why do you want to respond to the fear by figuring out your own worry and making a, muscling up in your own way to deal with it? I'm here. I am with you. And the message that Isaiah brings, you know, he says, uh, that here's a sign that, that what I'm about to say is going to come true, and if you stick with me, good things are going to happen. And it's in this whole conversation that God has through Isaiah to Ahaz and to the people of God that he also makes a promise. He says, look, basically, if you follow me, if you give yourself to trusting me, I am going to do something quite amazing. You want to hold on to the power of a kingdom on this earth, the Assyrians and, and all the worldly powers that provide, but I am about to do something of a kingdom kind that's going to be brought about a servant of mine, a special servant of mine, who is going to bring about the ability, uh, is going to bring about something amazing. If you trust in me, if you trust in me, I'm enough to deal with the threat and your fear. And so we have these words in this context given to us in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And some of you may know this passage of Scripture. It's sung around this time, Handel's Messiah. For unto us a child is... That's why they don't let me sing, <laughs> right? This is a sign. This is part of, of Isaiah's conversation, primarily to Ahaz, but to the people of God in Judah. And he's saying, hey, uh, if you follow me, I'm about to bring about something really special, and you can be part of that if you just trust in me. If you don't respond to your fears by seeking out your own answers, but instead make me the answer, this is what you're going to see. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will, he will bring a new kingdom, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah says, on behalf of God, hey, if you trust me, if you look to the answers to the threat that you're facing, if you look to the answers to the fears that you have, the phobias that you struggle with, if you look to me and trust me and know that I am with you, and know that I will not let you go, that, that I will bring about the establishment of a kingdom that will be better than anything that you can dream of and hold on to. And it will come to pass because it will be about me. If you will trust me as the response to the fears and the threats you have in your life, if you will trust me, you will discover that I am with you and that is enough. That is enough. I heard a beautiful story about a father talking to his boy 
that really captured where I think God is going in this communication. Erwin McManus, Erwin McManus, I speak for a living. Erwin McManus is a preacher, and he tells a story about his son, Aaron, when he was elementary age. And he said, you know, we sent our son Aaron to church camp, and we figured church camp's a good thing to do because at church camp, they're not going to tell scary ghost stories around the fire. So he figured that was a, was a good thing for him. But unfortunately, what they do at church camp is they don't talk about scary ghost stories around the fire. They talk about demons. <laughs> so the boy came home, and he was afraid. In fact, Aaron was putting him to bed, and the boy said, Daddy, Daddy, don't turn off the lights. I'm scared of demons. Daddy, Daddy, would you pray that, 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 that I'll be safe tonight because of the demons? Because he had heard these stories at church camp about demons. He was scared to death. And Aaron was like, I couldn't believe it. And he said, I began to see the warm, cuddly blanket of Christianity begin to envelop my boy. The notion that God's purpose is to keep me safe. He said, I had to do something about it. And so he said to his son, Aaron, he said, Aaron, I am not going to pray that God keep you safe. I'm going to pray that God makes you dangerous. I'm going to pray that God makes you so dangerous that the demons won't even mess with you. His boy said, yes, thank you, Dad. Would you pray that he makes me really, really dangerous? God right near me means I have all I need to face a world that's not right with me. God right near me means I have all that I need to face a world that's not right with me. That's the message. Someone said the safest place in the world is in the middle of the will of God. Well, on the one hand, yes, there is a truth to that. But why is that true? It's not true because that is a statement that says you will not face any hardship, difficulty, suffering, and challenge in your life as you follow God. Because the, the Bible clearly says you will. If they crucified me, Jesus said, what are they going to do to you, my followers? The life that we've been called to live as we follow God is countercultural, meaning the culture will not like it meaning that it won't be safe in the terms of we will be free of any difficulty, struggle, sickness, disappointment, letdown, betrayal. We won't be free of, of things that challenge us in our day-to-day. -day. That, that's not what the guarantee is. The guarantee is this. I'm with you. And me with you means you have all that you need to face whatever comes. Because me with you makes you dangerous, makes you dangerous. I've said this before, you've heard me maybe. In the midst of a life storm, sometimes God in our cry will calm the storm, but a lot of times he will strengthen the sailor. He will strengthen the sailor. God with me is all I need. This is the promise of Isaiah, all I need to face a world not right with me. Came across a book just recently, a simple title called Belief, and it's an interesting thing. This research in one of the chapters pointed out something quite remarkable. The research said this. It said, 
your belief about challenges, your belief about stressors, your belief about anxiety, your belief about the fears you struggle with determines the effect they have on you physically, mentally, emotionally. If you believe that these things are catastrophic and terrible and not good, then you will have the full force of the negative impact that we know stress, anxiety, and challenge, and struggles, and fears bring. But if you believe something different about them, if you believe God with me is all I need to face the struggles and challenges that are coming against me, if you have a view to see that any challenge is part of being obedient to following Christ, if you have a different belief regarding challenges and see them, uh, struggles and see them as challenges, not as, as, as things are going to destroy you, the research shows that Going through those stressful times, the effect on you is minimal. They did that study. They did a study with a bunch of CEOs that, that, that found out that those that viewed trials and matters of struggle with fear, those that viewed them as challenges and opportunities to grow, they had hardly any adverse effects regarding those struggles. points to the truth that the Bible is saying all along. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Belief trumps fear. God with me is all I need to face a world not right with me. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. Trust in God and trust in the one whom he sent into the world. Follow him. Follow him. Trust in him. Believe the truth of Scripture. God with me is all I need to provide the resources to face a world that's not right with me. I came across a really powerful illustration of this. It was a commercial. It's a commercial for, uh, came out by a, a British grocery store called Sainsbury's. And to me, it captures this truth that submission to the truth when facing fears, that God is with me, submission to the truth that God is the king of my life, submission to the truth that Jesus is both my leader and my forgiver, and that if I change my thinking regarding the challenges that I face, if I believe that God with me is all I need, and this is a basis point, I'm not minimizing that some of us have to go through counsel and, and, and deal with anxieties for a base of things, no, but the basis of approaching the trials and fears that we face in life and as a society, if we believe God with us, means that I'm dangerous, changes the perspective. Well, this story, I think, captures it all. It was uh, Christmas Eve, first Christmas Eve of 1914, World War I. What had happened was uh, the battling nations had ended up at a somewhat of a stalemate, and they literally dug trenches and faced one another, and just for the next four years, we'll just 
massacre one another in what was known as World War I trench warfare. But in 1914, the first Christmas, the Pope had asked that there would be a ceasefire in honor of Christmas. The commanders, the, the generals wouldn't go for it, but the average soldier, the average soldier on the lines, the Germans and the British at this place, they submitted to a belief. And in their submission to their belief, in their dealing with their fears and an enmity and hatred and, 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 the, and the, the horrors of battle, when they were facing what do we do? Do we, do we have option A by our own power or do we choose option B? Do we choose side A or side B? Do we do this? No, when they chose option G, when they chose option God, when they lived out the truth that God right near me, as Christmas communicates, Emmanuel, God with me, I have all that I need to face a world that's not right with me. When they did that, something amazing happened. So enjoy this little video. Jenkins, open. No. My name is Jim. My name is Otto. Pleased to meet you, Otto. Freut mich. Rose, she's called. Um, schön, um, schön.
Danke. Happy Christmas. Frohe Weihnachten. God right near me is what I need to face a world not right with me. What would happen if we stopped paying homage to the idol of comfort, safety, and security? What would happen if we began to really understand the truth of the message of Emmanuel, for unto us a son is given? It became a community that said, you know, we're going to live dangerously. And by dangerously, I don't mean recklessly and doing crazy stuff like jumping off towers with, you know, parachute. No, I mean really living dangerously. Living counterculturally, not choosing side A, the, uh, the conservatives, and side B, the liberals, but instead side G, God. Side G, the values that God calls us to live by. Side G, the attitude that God wants us to have. Side G, to, to be marked by being peacemakers. Not peacekeepers, peacemakers. There's a difference. Peacemaker is someone who creates an environment of wholeness where, where, where people are healthy and well. Peacemaker is someone that just tends to try to avoid anything difficult and hard. Now, this is not going to be easy. It's not going to be safe in that sense. What happened if we became a community that truly understood what it means to be the light in the world, that God with us, God with us is what we need to give ourselves to in order to face a world by his strength and by his values and by his gifts, the, the work of the Spirit, and a world that's definitely not right. As Rick said, we would love to hear you share how God is working in you. And maybe particularly with this challenge, how is God helping you live dangerously, by faith, by love, by hope, and by joy. How is God working through you as you begin to learn to trust that God with me is all I need? It's all I need. From that starting point, God with me is what I need to face a world that's not right with me, not right with me in my physical being, not right with me in my relationships, not right with me in, in, in the challenge that I face, not right with me with what's going on in my job, I don't know. But if I can shift from a mindset of fear and the worship of comfort and keeping safe and shift my belief to the truth that God's Word says that God with you is all I need to rely on to face a world not right with me. Thank you for listening to the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. 
You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org. 